turn with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be focusing in on verses 13 through 22 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13 and going to verse 22. As, I, as we were singing one of the, the, that last worship song, Hallelujah, Holy, Holy, God Almighty, singing how worthy He is, none is worthy, the great I Am, right? None is worthy beside Thee. I have a question for us this morning. It might be a weird question, but it's a question that we have to wrestle with as followers of Christ. As we sing how worthy our Lord is, is He worthy enough for us to suffer for? Is he worthy enough for us to suffer for? Let's read our text this morning and then we're going to jump right into it. If you're there with me, First Peter, starting in verse 13, chapter 3, it says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, give us illumination into your word. May it be not just be a message that we say that was encouraging or whatever, but help us to, to truly hold it in our hearts, to live it out, to be convicted of it, to love it. Lord, what we're talking about this morning and suffering for you is not easy, but Lord, we know that with you, because of your resurrection, because of the hope we have in Christ, because of the spirit that dwells in us, we can rejoice, we can overcome, and you have a purpose in everything. So we thank you this morning for how you're going to work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said this morning, uh, uh, that question, I want you to wrestle with that this morning. We know the Lord is holy. We know he is worthy. There's none like him. But when it comes to our suffering, do we still have that same attitude? See, this, this book, 1 Peter, we've been going through this at our church. And uh, it's, a, it's a very inspiring but also challenging book. 
right? Because the apostle Peter is speaking to many churches, many believers scattered throughout Asia Minor who are suffering simply because they're followers of Jesus. Now, there's different kinds of suffering that we deal with, right? We deal with suffering because sin entered into the world, right? So our bodies, we suffer from disease. We suffer from brokenness. We suffer from uh, nat- uh, natural disasters, right? That's one kind of suffering. The other kind of suffering is the suffering we bring upon ourselves, right, for our own sinful choices, right? Sometimes we suffer because... We made bad decisions. We made unwise decisions, and we have to reap the consequences of those things. But the suffering that Peter is primarily dealing with is the suffering that comes from the world simply because you are a follower of Jesus. That's the suffering that he's talking about. That's the suffering that as he's writing this letter, the church is enduring. They're not doing anything wrong. They're just trying to live for Christ. They're trying to spread the gospel of truth. They're trying to live holy, righteous lives, and the world absolutely despises them and hates them for what they're doing. The believers that he's writing to in this letter are believers that are having to relocate where they live because they're not safe in their neighborhoods anymore. Remember when, when the Apostle Paul was in Thessalonica, right? There was a mob there that gathered against the church and literally dragged them out of their house trying to find Paul. These people are enduring beatings. This morning when you drove to church, I don't think any of us were worried about what would happen to us physically, any harm that would happen to us driving here to worship, right? That wasn't the case for the early church. They were always looking behind their shoulder, wondering, am I going to lose my life going to worship today? Am I going to be able to return home? Am I going to have a home to return to, or is my house going to be burned down? Is today the day my family is going to completely disown me because I'm now a follower of Jesus and uh, I'm not following the Jewish religion anymore, right? That happened a lot in the early church. And so this whole letter that Peter is writing to the church is saying, it's normal. Remember, your Lord and Savior, Jesus, suffered for your sake, but it was for a purpose. Therefore, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are called to suffer simply for our faith. We're called to suffer while we're living righteous and holy lives. And so... I want to say for our American churches, I feel like this concept is a very difficult concept to truly swallow. It's a a tough pill to swallow because we live in a country that is complete opposite of what our, our New Testament, right? I love our country. I'm sure you do too. We enjoy freedom. We enjoy liberties. We have rights. I mean... The, the, the church has never experienced such freedom like we have. And that's great. But it doesn't nullify the fact that Jesus said that his church, believers in him, would suffer. It doesn't take that away. I think it's pretty obvious that our country's changing. Right? That divide is getting bigger. The hostility is growing. 
the world is becoming less and less tolerant of Christian values. So I go back to that question, is the church ready to suffer for your, their faith? For doing absolutely nothing wrong? For worshiping Christ, for standing for the word of God? That's what he's dealing with. So the first, I only have two points for the message this morning. The first point is found in verses 13 through 17. It's simply this, embrace suffering. Don't try to run from it. Don't get mad at it. Don't get agitated. Don't complain. Can I be real a little bit this morning? (laughs) I see a lot of Christians complaining too much on Facebook. I love Facebook. I love social media outlets. I think it's a good thing. But the last thing any believer should be doing is complaining. When I read the scriptures, I see that we're called to rejoice in all circumstances. What I see in in our American churches is this unwillingness to embrace suffering because of the country we live in. There's a fine balance that we have to play. So it's a really, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting walk that we have to play. But no matter what, we're called to embrace suffering for our faith. And, and, and the good news here is that God uses it for good. Let's jump back into our text. Again, the first point of the message this morning is found in verses 13 through 17. Embrace suffering. Peter is asking the church a question. He says, who's going to be able to harm you if you're zealous for doing good? Right? He's, he, what he's saying is like what Jesus said. Don't worry about those who can only harm the body. Fear God who can destroy the body and the soul. Right? So no matter what, peop- no matter what people do, they can never truly, in an eternal sense, harm us. They can't take away your salvation. They can't take away your joy in Christ. They cannot take away the Holy Spirit that's been deposited in you. All they can do is harm you physically. That's it. So what Peter is saying is when you compare that to the Lord, who truly can harm you when you're being zealous for what's good? And he says, but even if you should suffer, verse 14, for righteousness sake, look at that church. What does that say? Read it this morning. What are those three words there? Read it. Someone read it out loud. You are blessed. That's a promise. That's a 100% guarantee. I always tell our church, when you see a promise like that, the only thing, the only proper response for the believers to accept it. Believe it, because truth does no one any good unless it's believed, unless it's accepted and acted upon. Does that make sense? He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Embrace the suffering, because guess what? You're going to be blessed. They can only harm you in this side of eternity. When, when, when we get to heaven, when we're not going to suffer anymore, None of us are going to care about what happened to us here, right? No one's going to look back and say, man, look at all those things I had to endure. I think, matter of fact, most of us, when we're in eternity, we're going to say, you know what? I wish I would have been able to suffer more for Christ. 
I wish I would have embraced it more, rejoiced more in it. So he says, embrace the suffering. Don't be troubled. In your hearts, honor Christ as holy. And I love this. While we are suffering, what are we to do? Be prepared to tell people why you have hope. Listen. The early church grew tremendously. Go, I encourage you, go through the book of Acts and see how even though everything, all the odds were stacked against the early church, the gospel prevailed. Why? Because as they were suffering, they were rejoicing, and people were wondering, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> how come they keep following Jesus no matter what we do? We beat them up. We take them out of their homes. We, we destroy everything that they have, and yet they still worship Christ, and they do it with joy, right? They don't go to church grumbling or complaining, and they won't stop preaching the gospel message. So he says, as you're suffering, guess what? I'm using this for a reason. I'm using this to spread the hope of the gospel, ultimately. Turn back to chapter 1, 1 Peter, and look at verse 7 with me. This is important. Actually, uh, start in verse 6. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In suffering, our faith is being tested. And it's not being tested so it can be destroyed. It's being tested so it can be refined and to be found genuine. So here's the deal. The world right now is looking at the church. And they want to know does what they have, is the God they worship real? Is their faith genuine? Because I'll tell you what, our world is all messed up, right? But the one thing that people are always seeking is that which is real, that which is genuine, that which is authentic. And for us, for the church, the world is wanting to see, is their faith real or is it fickle? And the only way for, the, for that to be found out is for our faith to be what? Tested through suffering. And it's not only for the world, it's also for you. You see, God loves you so much that he's not willing for your faith to stay immature. God loves you so much, he's not going to let you stay where you are today. He's maturing you each and every day. And sometimes the only way for our faith to mature is through suffering. Make sense? So even though it's tough in the short term, God is accomplishing something good. Back at home uh, today, we have a prayer meeting um, with a bunch of area churches, and we're praying for revival. And I was telling our church last week that as we pray for revival, I believe God is going to do that. Because when we pray for revival, guess what? That's God's heart. Anytime we pray according to his will, he does it, right? 
But I think here in America, if we're going to have revival, we're going to have to embrace suffering. I don't think it's going to come easy. I think it's going to come through suffering. I think the world is going to have to see how the church endures affliction and persecution before that will happen. Just like it's always happened. Listen, throughout church history, the gospel prevails more in persecution. It just does. Over in China, it's estimated that they have more believers in China than in the United States, yet they're persecuted and the entire church has to be underground. That's just the way it is. So we have to embrace the fact that our faith needs to be tested so our faith can increase, but also so the world can see that it's genuine, authentic. And then them placing their faith in Christ is a lot more natural because they know it's real. Right? Nobody wants to, no one wants to place their faith in something that's fake or doesn't work or it's not authentic. You know what I'm saying? They want to know that it's real. So that's what suffering does. But listen, it's only when the church embraces it. If we just complain, if we try to fight it, it's not going to work. Jump over to chapter 4 in verse, uh, 1 Peter, verse 1. Kind of jumping around the, the book here. But again, under the same idea of embracing suffering. In verse 1, Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. We're not above our Lord. We're not above our Lord. In order for us to, to have been saved, for God to accomplish what he did, the forgiveness of sins, it had to come through suffering. There's no way around it. It had to happen that way. So he says, Arm yourselves with this way of thinking. Now jump down to verse 12 in chapter 4. I love this. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to, again, test you. As though something strange were happening to you. I feel like in America, any time affliction happens, we think, what's going on? (laughs) This shouldn't be happening here in the United States. We got rights. We got freedoms. This shouldn't be happening here. We have laws against this stuff. But the scripture says it's not strange. Don't think it's strange. Let me get a little bit more specific here. Let's not think that it's strange when the public school systems doesn't want the Bible in there. They don't want prayer in there. Matter of fact, they don't want the the, the Christian religion to be represented at all. Everyone else gets a say. Everyone else gets representation except you guys. Don't be surprised. Right? Right? Don't be surprised. This is going on. I don't know how this here is in New Hampshire, but in Massachusetts, especially where I'm, we're, we're at in Fitchburg, um, they're always raising all types of flags for different nationalities and different things. Don't be surprised when they don't care about the Christian flag. They'll put every single other flag up there, but the Christian flag, no, that... Don't be surprised. Don't count it strange. I laugh because... I'm like, I don't care about a flag. (laughs) What's a flag going to do? I don't need the government to represent Christ. Last time I checked, the church is his ambassador. (laughs) Not the government, not the public schools, not Hollywood. 
they're not his ambassadors, right? They're making all these movies based on the Bible, and sometimes they're like, oh, they didn't get it right. Of course they didn't. (laughs) They're just trying to make a dollar. They don't care to represent the scriptures well. Don't count it strange. There's another church that I know of um, in Massachusetts. Uh, I'm not going to go into all the details, but basically what happened was there was a they were they were renting their space out to a business, and of course last month is, is Gay Pride Month. Everyone knows that, and so the business decided they wanted to put the flags all all in around the building. So naturally the church they didn't stand for that, so they just simply were taking the flags out, and it turned into this whole thing. It was put in the local newspapers. That church was vilified. They were demonized. They had a, a, a group of people outside of the church on Sunday morning across the street protesting. They, their church got vandalized with spray paint. Don't count it strange when stuff like that happens, the scripture says. Because when you stand for truth... The world doesn't like it. The enemy doesn't like it. So don't count it strange. We are to embrace it. We're always, we're so always supposed to have a reason for our hope. But I love how when he says, when you're talking to people about the gospel, remember, do it with gentleness and respect. I think we really need to hear that. Because there's... Uh, I'm not going to lie, I've, I've seen a lot of presentations of the gospel that are harsh and loveless. And it's almost like throwing holiness in someone's face. That's not going to do anything. Right? The only way the gospel is going to prevail is if we present it in gentleness and respect, having a sincere love for the person that we're talking to. We're not just trying to win an argument. Right? We're not just trying to win an argument and prove that we're right or prove that we're the righteous ones. No, we're genuinely caring for the soul of this person and hoping that they follow Jesus with their life. Right? So we are to be respectful and gentle. And yes, that also means on our social media platforms. Right? Half the stuff I feel like people say on there, they would never say in person, face to face. But because we're behind a keyboard... You know, we feel like we have the right to. Let me just also put this out there just for, just for food for thought. 90% of communication is through body language and tone of voice. So when you're writing something, whether it's a text or an email or a social media post, 90% of that communication is not there because they can't hear how you're saying it and they can't read your body language all they can read are your words which is about 10 percent. so that's why for me personally i don't like to post a lot because i don't want anybody to ever misunderstand what i say i would rather have conversations more in person because they can read my body language they can tell through my tone of voice how i feel about the situation right just food for thought throwing out throwing that out there I think a lot of things get misconstrued because, all, you know, when you read something, right? You, let's just put it this way. When you read a Facebook post or an email or something, you automatically, in your mind as you're reading it, you start assuming what their tone is, what their body language is, right? You, because that's, we have to in order to understand. You could be totally wrong, right? But you've made it up in your head as you're reading it. 
Let's embrace suffering. Let's understand. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And then I just love how he says, don't suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer, right? Don't suffer for doing bad things. Suffer for simply living righteously. And then I love in verse 17, it's time for judgment to begin where? The house of God. If we're going to have revival in our nation, it needs to happen in the church first. Revival is actually for the church. And when revival happens in the church, it's, it spreads outside. But revival is always for believers. And then the gospel spreads as a, as a result of that. Judgment starts at the household of God. We ought to always be judging ourselves first before we judge the world outside. Because, listen, the outside world, they don't have the Holy Spirit. So they're going to do all types of things that don't make any sense. That's what they're supposed to do. Right? (laughs) They're supposed to do crazy outlandish things that don't make sense. But I think we'd be more effective if we were to judge our own hearts first those of us who have the Holy Spirit who no longer have an excuse for some of our behavior, for some of our attitudes, for some of the way that we speak or treat others. Right? If you are saved, if you're a follower of Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have every reason to treat others with love, with respect, to have self-control, to live holy, righteous lives. So we ought to have more judgment for ourselves first. Remember the church in Corinthians, they were partaking of communion, the Lord's table, without what? Discerning their own self. So God had to literally bring judgment upon that church, and some of them were dying because they refused to judge themselves. How sad is that? So we're called to embrace suffering. We're called to give a reason for the hope that's in us. It's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Point number two is as we are suffering, verses 18 to 22, we have to look and remember Jesus. We have to remember that our Savior suffered for us. When we remember that the God of the universe was willing to suffer when he didn't deserve it, if there's anybody who shouldn't have to suffer, it's Christ, right? It said he suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? So that we could be brought reconciled to God. Suffering is for purpose. It's not just random. It just doesn't just happen. God uses it for good. He uses it to bring others to himself. Jesus being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And then he makes a reference here to the days of Noah. All right, when Noah and his family, for 120 years, they built that ark, but they also preached the gospel. But think about that. For 120 years, nobody accepted, nobody accepted the Lord, except for that family. 
And it says that Christ proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's, God was so patient. God is so patient with us. In the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were being brought safely through water. And then he ties that in with verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. What does he mean by that? Jump over with me to, to uh, Luke chapter 12. And this is kind of where we're going to wrap up here. Luke chapter 12. See, that word baptism does not always refer to, to water baptism, right? When we get saved, you guys have a baptistry here. People place their faith in Christ and they show that publicly when they get baptized in the water. That word baptism simply means to be immersed in something. Right, So with us, we immerse in water as a symbol, symbol of our faith in Christ. But look at what Christ says in Luke 12. This is the baptism that saves us, right? Because we understand when we get in those waters, nothing magical happens, right? It's not like our sins get washed away in that moment. Our sins get washed away when we place our faith in Christ. That baptism is that outward symbol, but Christ said, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about being immersed in wrath. Remember, when Christ died on the cross, the wrath of God literally was placed upon his shoulders even though he didn't deserve it. He was baptized in wrath on the cross in order for us to be saved, for our sins to be forgiven. That's what Peter is referring to here. Noah and his family in that ark, that ark is a good representation of Christ. When we're in Christ, we're saved. Why? Because remember, the waters at that time was judgment. And so that ark kept them safe from God's judgment upon the earth. Jesus' baptism, his, his baptism in wrath on the cross keeps us safe from God's judgment when we place our faith in him. Amen? So when we're struggling, when we're trying to figure out, God, why am I suffering? God, I'm having a hard time dealing with this. Peter says, remember Christ. Remember your Savior. He suffered for you. So he's worthy for you to suffer for his sake. Right? He paid the penalty for us. And then lastly, verse 22 gives us so much encouragement. Christ has gone into heaven. He's at the right hand of God. He's interceding on behalf of the church and the saints. He's with angels and authorities and powers, having everything is subjected to Jesus. And Jesus is for the church. So guess what? No matter what happens on this side of earth, he's in control. And he's using it for his glory, and it's not going to last very long. Our lives compared to eternity is very, very small. So let's make best use of the time that we have here. Things are changing in our country. So be it. It's not strange. It's normal. Let's embrace suffering for him. Let's rejoice. 
Let's be ready to tell others of the gospel with respect and gentleness. And as we're suffering, let's remember to hold on to Christ. Let's remember his suffering for us, how, how much he accomplished for us. And let's remember that God is using all things together for good for those who love him. He's testing our faith because he loves you. He's making it more genuine, and he's trying to reach somebody in the process through your suffering. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your truth. And Lord, we understand that what we have learned this morning is not an easy thing to embrace, but we also know we have the Holy Spirit, so we thank you for him because he's the one who empowers us to rejoice in suffering. He's the one who keeps us firm in our faith. And Lord, we thank you that we can look to you as our ultimate example of suffering. You didn't have to suffer. You chose to suffer on our behalf for our sin. And you did it with joy, looking forward to the glory that it would bring to the Father. So Lord, use us. Use your church this morning for your glory. I pray that you would empower and encourage any who are suffering this morning. Maybe people's, someone's faith this morning is, is fickle because of suffering and the enemy is getting in there and putting all types of strongholds. I pray for that person's faith this morning that you would strengthen it. I pray for anybody in here who's never placed their faith in Jesus. I pray your Holy Spirit would illuminate that in their heart, that they would understand this morning if they've not placed their faith in Christ, they are going to have to face the judgment of God for their sins one day. I pray that you would draw them to place their faith in you this morning. I pray that you would bring revival to our churches here in the United States, but Lord, we understand that it's going to cost us. I pray that you would just give us that supernatural strength to embrace suffering. But Lord, we thank you that you're going to use it to accomplish good. You're going to use it to bring others to the gospel. You're going to use it to strengthen our faith. And Lord, we thank you that when we're in eternity, we're going to just be rejoicing and not care what happened here on this earth. Thank you for what we have to look forward to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.